In a world that tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job, end your relationship, start a new one, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist this so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. Well, I'm here to change that. Join me and my guest every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Hello, everybody. This week, I have with me the beautiful Courtney Hanson, who is the podcast host of Your Sweet Little Life. And she's also into a big mission of empowering women to reconnect with their body, mind, and soul. So I want to say thank you, Courtney, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. And I'm excited for everybody to hear your story, your transformation, all the chapters in your life. Will you be able to share them with us? Yes. So time lapse, I guess we'll go with. Um, I grew up with my dad. He raised me with my grandmother um, until I was 12 and she passed away. And then we moved quite a bit to different states. So my upbringing was pretty, um, I would say not very solid. We were always, I was never out of school for more than a year at a time. Um, my mom wasn't really around until I got older. And it was kind of rough. It was a real big challenge to just work through everything as an adult. Um, I was kind of a nerd until I got in high school. And when I got in high school, I all of a sudden kind of had my uh, puberty blossom at 17, a little late. And um, I became pretty all of a sudden and I was ugly my whole life. And so I got all of this attention that I had never received and I wasn't feeling loved from home. And so it was just all these dynamics. And so I'd started partying and that was where I found like my friends and security. And so that always had kind of been my fallback and I never learned. I mean, I was raised by a man and I love my dad to pieces, but as a man, you don't learn you don't know how to teach the coping skills that a woman needs as in a grown adult. And so I did not have coping skills. If something happened, I would just try and fix it like a man. Like I had no femme energy. I had nothing, right? So I knew how to be a workaholic and throw myself into work. And I'm a total type three Enneagram because for me, it was like any success was brought on by you know, that was my only praise that I got her. You're doing a good job or you're making a lot of money or you're doing this. It was never like, wow, you're a really beautiful soul. Like, it's okay that you're broken right now. Like I never had permission to be broken. And if I was broken, my parents would send me off to go fix me somewhere. So I went to this nine month, um, like rehabilitation camp thing. And I had, I got caught at a party in high school and my parents didn't know how to deal with it. So they just sent me off. And so I would always just get sent off places to get fixed. And I wasn't able to get fixed. So I always thought I was broken. So as an adult having children, I honestly had no idea how to be a mother. I didn't have a mother. So I had no idea what that looked like. I never saw a healthy marriage. My dad never was in a long-term relationship with me growing up. So I never knew what that looked like. And so I got pregnant at 21, had my son at 22, and I thought I was ready and grown. And uh, I really took a turn. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a single mom. I had gotten pregnant by my boss at a gym, and he was mentally ill. He went in the military and was very, very sick and had PTSD and all sorts of stuff. So 
by the grace of God, I met my husband now, and he was my friend at the time, and we ended up um, meeting when my son was about, I'd say nine months, and so my son has always known my husband as dad, and my husband is the most normal human being. I have no idea why he picked me, because I was crazy pants, and I didn't know what a healthy relationship was, so I didn't know how to show up for one. Um, and so when I had my daughter, I really thought I had it figured out. I was 27 at this point. I felt like I, you know, I had everything that I wished for when I was a little girl. So everything was great for a few years. And then I had my son at 32 and he was my one baby that we really, really tried for. I had a bunch of fertility problems. I couldn't get pregnant. I finally got pregnant. And the minute I did, I got really, really sick. And so my entire pregnancy, I couldn't work, I couldn't get off the couch. And for me, I don't know how to be still, like I have to be moving. And so mentally, I started to spiral really quick because I'm like, I promised I would never miss my kids sporting events or their uh, dance events. And I couldn't go to anything. My husband had to do everything. And so for my kids, they're like, well, what's wrong with mom? Why is she sick? And then my son came two months premature and so then we had to do the whole NICU experience and that was just really heavy for us. And I am like such a mama bear. If I don't have my kid with me, I feel like I'm like not okay in life. Um, and so he got, he was in the NICU for about three weeks. And right when we brought him home, my husband got a promotion for his job and he is a firefighter in San Francisco. And so he actually is, had to be gone for four months, like gone, gone. And so I have my oldest who was not diagnosed at the time, but has autism. So he was having these crazy, like raging outbursts and mad. And I didn't know what was going on. And mentally I'm like, not okay. And then I'm trying to keep this little guy good and healthy and like just in survival mode. And my poor daughter, she, she's like just such a warrior woman. Like she is in like her little soul. So she just, it hangs tough. And so I feel like she's just feeling left out because she's the strong one of everyone. And um, I had really bad postpartum and I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want my husband to feel like something like he had to come home or he can focus on his job. So I wanted to support him through this time with his dreams. And so it got really, really ugly. I mean, I got really sick. I didn't want to get out of bed functioning. I just was like, oh, and so I started drinking wine at night and it, at first it was like a few glasses and then it would turn into like a bottle a night. And that was my thing. Like I would do all my stuff during the day and then five o'clock on the dot, I would start cooking dinner. I would start drinking wine and I would drink till I couldn't feel anything. And then I would go to sleep and then I'd wake up and I'd be kind of hungover, but I would do it all over again. And so I got in this pattern and the pattern kind of made me start to spiral. And I felt super lonely during this time. And I ended up reaching out to my husband because he was so checked out and just not there during this time because he was focused on his job and doing this promotion for our family. And so he was like in another world trying to focus with this, trying to get through this part of his chapter. And I just crashed. And so I told him, I was like, I can't do this. Like something is wrong with me. Like something is seriously wrong with me inside. And he's like, you're fine. Like you have to be the glue right now. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I'm like, okay, like I'm fine. Like maybe postpartum isn't real. Maybe I'm just depressed. Like I'm fine. And so during this time, I had an ex-boyfriend reach out to me 
And I ended up having an affair with my ex-boyfriend on my husband while he was gone in the academy. And I kept it inside for about a month and it about killed me. I couldn't keep the secret. I felt like I had broken my family. I felt like a failure, but I just wanted to feel like some sort of love. I just wanted to feel something because I didn't feel anything. I was just so broken and in so much despair. And so I upped my drinking and I started drinking more and more and more and more and earlier and earlier and earlier. And my husband was home at this point, so he could take care of the kids. So I was like, just checked out. So finally he found out, he went through my phone. He had a, a suspicion and he went through my phone and he found everything. And our life exploded. I ended up going to the doctor and I'm super against meds in general, but I had asked them to put me on something because I was like, I am having really dark thoughts. Like I've never had these before. I need something. So they put me on Prozac and Xanax and I don't know any listeners, but if anyone's had that lovely combo, it like makes you go to La La Land. And so I was just checked out. They didn't tell me I couldn't drink on it. And so I was drinking a bottle of wine a night on Prozac and Xanax. And so you can imagine like within a 30 day period, I went from my life being semi-manageable to like, I couldn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything. Me and my husband had gotten in a huge fight after he found out. And I like literally had a mental breakdown. He called the cops. I ended up getting arrested for like six hours because I went to go drive and he went to go take the keys out and I bit his arm trying to get the keys back. I don't remember any of it. And so I ended up going to a really intense postpartum um, healing place and they couldn't really help me. It was through Kaiser and it was just not the best program of what I needed. It was very like you were a number, it wasn't personal, it wasn't anything. And so during that time, I was just felt so lonely. I felt so broken, I needed to just get away. And so I ended up flying to Seattle to stay with my aunt and uncle for a few days to kind of just clear my head. I, at this point, I was firmly believed we were getting divorced. Um, my husband had made plans. I had made plans. I bought a car in Seattle and drove back to California with my kids. I was like done. And it, everything kind of just slowly started to get better and then it would crash and burn again. So it went like this for like six months and we were both really fighting fiercely for our marriage and for our children. And the postpartum, I never got, I was only on the Prozac for like a week and they took me off of it because I had such a weird reaction to it because my body is so sensitive. So they're like, we can't put you on anything because it did the exact opposite of what it was supposed to do. And so I was like, I have to figure something out. Like I can't keep living like this. And so um, kind of the light part of my story, the darkest part, I woke up one morning and I just didn't want to be here anymore. I was like, I can't do this to my children. I love them so much. My husband deserves such a better woman. Like he deserves to be loved the way he should be loved. He's this loyal rock of a man. And I am just like tornadoing through everyone's lives. And I couldn't figure out how to stop. And inside I felt trapped. Like I was just like, I need to get out of Like I can't do this anymore. I don't want to hurt anyone. And so I ended up calling one of my son's uh, friend's moms to come to the house before my husband got home from work so they wouldn't know anything was wrong. And I acted like I had to go do something for work. And I left and I went and got a hotel and I had planned to drink myself to death because I, well, I was too chicken to do it any other way. 
And so I was like, I am just going to drink to the point that I won't wake up and I won't feel anything and I will leave this world and my, everyone will be happy and can move on with their lives and my kids won't remember because they're too young. And I was just broken. And it got to a point that I kept drinking and drinking and nothing was happening and I couldn't pass out. And I had dropped to my knees at this hotel room and I screamed and I, my husband was calling police doing welfare checks and I just dropped, just broken. And I was like, I just screamed, help me. And I sat there for a minute and I just told my friend to leave and gotten in a huge fight with her. And I was like, leave me alone. I don't want to help. I want to be left alone. And I just felt this embrace of arms around me. And it was like nothing I can ever describe to anyone unless they experience it themselves. And it was like, everything is going to be okay. Like you are going to be okay. And so I finally went through some fierce trauma therapy. I realized um, that I wanted to go back to school myself to be a therapist to help women who had been through this. And so I studied to be a Reiki master and an energy healing therapist and a trauma therapist for all these things. So I specialize in like shadow work and all of that because I realized I had all these entities and all this trauma from my childhood. I had just been like swaying and carrying with me this entire time. I had dumped it on my children. I had dumped it on my husband and I was so freaking toxic. Like I was so toxic and I couldn't even see it. And so I had to really like dismantle everything I had ever been taught, everything I had ever thought was right or wrong, the way you act, the way you think, everything. And I had to heal it, repair it, and really get in touch with my inner child and know that like, you're safe, you're okay, like this is going to be okay. And I made a choice from that day forward that I was no longer going to drink anymore. Um, I have been sober ever since. And I am just honestly feeling so alive now. Like I get to help women and be a light. And I feel like personally, it was such a dark time in my life, but I wouldn't be where I was right now. And I wouldn't be healed. I wouldn't be whole. I wouldn't be the person that I am if I would, it was not to have experienced that journey. And I was so embarrassed about it for so long. I was like, I can't talk about it. People will judge me. I'm such a bad human. And now it's like, you know what? No, I survived that shit. Oops, sorry. But I was like, yeah. oh, okay. I was like, yeah. I did that. Like I made it through the other side. Like I walked through that. So now I can help other people walk through that and know that like you, it doesn't have to be the end. Like you can push through and life does get so much better, but you have to be on your own journey. Which you just had quite the journey and I'm so happy and honored that you were open and vulnerable and honest because I actually see this happening with many, especially women. I think that there is something in the consciousness that is making us wake up to something else. So I think that in previous generations, women were be that traumatized, but they were able to carry it all the way to their graves. It will just be passed down from one generation to the next. Mm. But I think that we've gotten to a point in our collective consciousness where we are rising up as the women that say, no, it ends with me. My children are not gonna take it on. But having said this, I work with women who are going through the process of divorce and the story that you just re recounted, it's such a common story that is not talked about. I say to women when they come to me and they're ashamed of affairs, 
drinking, I always say there is no judgment on that. For me, drinking when you're unhappy, it's a form of, medita- of medication. Could also be meditation. But if <laughs> you are, you are meditate, you're medicating your pain in the only way that you know without having to ask for external help. So there is no judgment. You're in a situation that needs to change, but you don't know how to do it because we need tools. We need ex- external help if we haven't been able to handle it on our own until then. But I see so many women that decide to stay in it, decide to stay in the pain, in the family life that doesn't suit them. They just up the medication. They do more of the wine. They do more of the, uh, the medication provided by their doctors. And they think that it's okay, that that's being normal, that's functioning within the system. And I am a big proponent of let it crumble. Let it go down to your knees, cry, ask for help to whoever is listening, because that will be the moment when you can really rise up and say, okay, I am done with that. We do not need to stay in no paradigm that doesn't serve us. So I'm curious if you hadn't had that beautiful embrace, which by the way, what divine moment. (laughs) There couldn't have been a, no, I'm ignoring that voice it was actually embraced you think that if you hadn't had that moment you would have still gotten to this point of saying no I'm going to ask for help and then start your journey of education which I think it's the the beginning of the reversal of all the trauma yeah well my husband actually kind of gave me an ultimatum so he had taken my kids to his his mom's house in Reno and was like I'm until you're until you are figured shit out. Like I'm not bringing the kids back. Like good luck. And so and he's like, I have two weeks legally that I can take them. And I was like broken. And so having that embrace and um, I mean I'm stubborn as hell. So it still took me a few days to like you know really embrace that like I needed some help. Um, and then I met like I said when I met my trauma therapist. Her name is Julianne and I'm actually writing my second book right now. And she is a huge part of it because it's like God. You know, you get this divine intervention and when you finally say and be willing to accept help, it's like the perfect people get put in your life at the perfect time. And I've been to therapist after therapist after therapist my entire life. But there is something about this woman is like, I'm not kidding you. She is like doing God's work. She is just amazing. She calls you on your stuff and she changed my life. Like she made me realize things that uh, like my whole life therapist and I'm like, well, why do you feel like that? Or what, why did you do to cause that? And so my whole life I've thought everything is my fault. So I always am like that people pleasing mode and constantly trying to feel like I owe people something. And she is like, so, so can I cuss on this? Can I say it anywhere? Okay. She's so straight up. And she was like, you need to be a badass bitch. You don't owe anyone anything. And I was all, Oh, I'm not, no, not me. And I was like, I've done a lot of bad things. And then I told her my bad things. And she's like, do you know how many women have done that exact same shit? And she said it to me just like that. And I was like, just beside myself. And I'm like, you mean I'm not the only person who has treated their parents bad? Or I'm not the only person who has had a bad upbringing? Or I'm not the only person who had an affair? Or I'm not, you know, like, and she's like, no, like, what the hell? No. And she's like, you don't owe anyone anything. You owe yourself and your children to break this generational curse that is so mind fogging you and I was like oh my no one has ever in my life said that to me it's always like how can I take advantage of you how can I because I would wear that I didn't say no I didn't set boundaries I had I was like a, like a mat like just walk on me and so once I started doing that and I started changing myself 
everything around me started changing. My kids started healing. My, my daughter would come up to me and be like, mommy, you're so amazing. Like, I want to do what you do when I grow up. I'm like, just to hear that. And she doesn't remember it. And I'm like, but in my mind, I'm like, they see me as this horrible person. And they didn't know what was going on. I hid it the whole time. Of course, I was hiding from everyone. So to have that divine moment and then have everything align the way it did, it, I swear to you, it was just like guardian angels were just like, okay, we're done. We're going this way now. What would you say is the main difference between uh, therapy, like the conventional way, and trauma-based therapy? Oh my gosh. So this was more like, for me at least, the one that I went to was more, um, this is what made me get into shadow work. It was much more like shadow work. It was writing letters. It was, um, so she would like have me write a letter to my mom, for example. We started with my mom because that was kind of a root, you know, abandonment issue I had. And so we would start with my mom. I would write a letter to her and then I would have to write a letter back to me from her. And so we would do this for a while and then we would like find things out from that. So then it was like, oh my God, you never dealt with the grief of your grandmother. Like this is who raised you. This is a woman you really looked up to and she died and you moved and you didn't have any closure. So then we would work through that and like it would be all letters. It's like you are working through it and then reading it and then she's like oh okay there's there's an issue and she would like extract things very carefully from each letter that you wrote so it was a ton of writing it was a ton of reprogramming the subconscious and it was really like changing things at a dna cellular energy level of like okay we are going to literally take you apart we're going to purge everything out of your body and then we're going to put it back together and so it was tough <laughs> Yeah, when, when you start digging into the trauma vault. <laughs> yeah, stuff comes up that you didn't even know. I always say when people are scared of things that are not really real, I call those the monsters under the bed. But I go, if you really go into your traumas, those are the monsters inside of you that you literally have to purge out of your body. And sometimes that energetic trauma bonding is so strong that it is at a cellular level, like you're gonna yeah. have to, to go beyond the mind, which I believe is where the disconnect with traditional therapy exists. Mm -hmm. That they focus very much on the mind and the stories. And there, there is a lot of wisdom in that. That's the part of the reprogramming, but your body has to follow suit because the, the yeah. issues are in the tissues. So if you oh, don't yeah. get them out of there, they're yeah. gonna come back. Yeah, I know. And I was like, oh my gosh, yoga is a huge part of my life. and. I would literally have to go to my sessions. I'd have to come home and take a nap and drink a crap ton of water and then just like be on my mat. And sometimes I would fall asleep on my mat. Sometimes I couldn't get past child's pose, but I, like I just needed to like be in my body because if I wasn't, I would check out so quick because it really like drains every bit of you. But when you get past it, you get this burst of energy and light and you're like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, like it's like, because I kept asking her, well, when am I healed? Can you fix me? Can you fix me? Am I fixable? And she's like, it's not that you're broken. Like you just need to work through things. And so once I got to that like level of light and radiance, like all these things started happening in my life and all these connections started happening. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, th I think I'm healed. Like, I think I, I chills talking about it. I'm like, I think I'm really healed. I believe that we are always healed. We just got a lot of crap that we need to get rid of. Yeah. Like we, we got all these layers and we're here suffocating going, like, I'm so hot. I'm so uncomfortable. I don't want to be in my body. Okay. Let's start taking the layers off. For me, the biggest step is to take the first step is to have that moment of saying, I am tired with this moving on. Let's, let's move on to the next 
chapter. So what would you say to women who are feeling the pain? And I know that some of you listening are feeling the pain, are trying to numb it with whatever form of medication you're using. And you want to you wanna send them a message of hope, of inspiration, of this is the first step. What would you ask them to consider? To really just get inside themselves and reach out for help if they need it. I feel like one of the biggest and hardest steps for women in general is reaching out for help and admitting something is wrong. Um, I think we want to make sure that we have it all together. And it's so socially acceptable with social media and, you know, all the mom nights. It's like wine and wine nights and drink. Like, that is so acceptable now. Like, it's okay to be an alcoholic. Like, it's cool. Like, you know, don't, your kids can play. We're going to drink wine over here in the corner, you know, and there's just so much more to life. Like once you get out of that and you realize like, man, I can connect with these women that are complete badasses and empowering other women and lifting people up and you walk away and you feel lifted and energized and you're not drained and you're not tired. You're not hung over the next day. It's just asking for help and taking that first step and reaching out. And really, I feel like you have to get to that point. And for me personally, this was my biggest hurdle. I had to get to the point of not giving a F-U-C-K what anyone else thought. That was my thing. I was so concerned about what everyone else thought about me that I had to let go of it and step into my truth and be like, mm, I'm going to do me and the rest of you can either follow suit or leave me alone. To me, that's the first, absolutely first step. I was going to add it after, like, don't be afraid of being the weird or the one that doesn't drink a parties. I remember when I was going through the thick of my divorce and I was like, no, I cannot drink my way out of this. I need to be sober to be making the right decisions. And I didn't drink for two years. And I remember going to all the events and everybody would be like, what's wrong with you? Are you dying of cancer? Are you pregnant? What's your issue? And I was like, how is it odd? The one not drinking is the one with a problem, but everybody else passing out around you, those are okay. So it, I had to get to the point of, I don't give a fuck. I literally read that book. A friend of mine gave it to me. It's not a great and, book. Oh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Everybody yeah, don't get it. it. First step, just who cares? Everybody's going to judge. Mm -hmm. So what? Do whatever feels good for you. So I love that part. It just don't care and ask for help. That's another huge one. It's, it almost seems in our society that you ask for help, you're admitting weakness, you don't know how to do something, you're less than perfect, and oh, good luck. Once you're a mother, you have to be perfect, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> Got it all together. It's all together. And there we are, drinking in the corner, going, I don't yeah. have it together. In our closets, yeah. <laughs> so don't be afraid. Go and ask for that help. And I'm so happy that my audience has been introduced to you because I am a huge believer of trauma somatic work um i think that that's where we really did dive deep into the real issues and you can really create a lot of transformation so if people want to find it want to find you i'm going to put the links below but what are the best ways to communicate with you um i am on the gram quite a bit so it's at the sweetest little life and then my podcast is the sweetest little life and yeah my website is the sweetest little life.com it's all kind of flowy but the hub of all my stuff is on the gram yeah, and you have a pretty fun, uh, funky gram. So go, go and check her out. Um, and I would like to ask you the last two questions that I ask all my guests, which is, um, what is in your next great chapter? 
My next great chapter is I am actually writing a book about my healing story. It's going to be called Within, and I cannot wait for it. So that is going to be my next big thing. Um, and then for the world's next chapter, you know, I just, I'm going to go woo-woo here. I see so much collective light and love happening right now. And it just makes me so happy. It's like, I, I, like I just am beside myself watching it. I feel like a lot of people are waking up and realizing that there's so much more than the shallow life that so many of us have been living. And there's just, it's beautiful to watch. I just love watching people blossom and grow into their destiny and who they were meant to be. And I see that happening all over right now. And I think COVID, you know, I feel like through chaos, you know, it's the calmness after the storm, but I feel like we are entering into that calmness after that crazy year. But we are, you know, I feel like that just caused so much unity, not even just as a country, but as a world together, like uh, just humans coming together and showing kindness and showing love and figuring it out. That is so interesting that you said that because my last guest in the podcast said the exact same thing. He said that in really? the community, he's seen so much unity and yes. people having each other's back, whereas we're almost being portrayed a different idea of there is so much division and so much conflict. But I think that at the lower cellular level, people are actually getting together and saying, hey, what do you need? I'm here to help. So I agree with you. I think that there is a lot of beautiful transformation coming out. It's been a shit show. We're not going to lie about it, but I think that there is so much beauty being rebirthed from that. So I'm so happy that you said that. Yes. And I'm so happy to have had you here. Thank you so much for your time, Corny. And I hope that everybody goes and check you out. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. And then for everybody, I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to subscribe and review my podcast because I just love hearing from you. You can also follow my journey on my Instagram account at Divorce for Love and join our Facebook group in the show notes. See you next week.